What's up, lunatics? Welcome back to the Bad Christian Podcast. I'll get right to it today, but here's what I want you to do. Go to thebcclub.com, open up a tab on your browser, and don't do anything. Just chill. Just let it sit there. And then if during this episode, or later, or next time you come back to your browser, you say, oh yeah, I meant to sign up for that. That's because you've been meaning to sign up for it, and I think you'll get a lot out of it. So that's just, you know, that's what I'm going to ask you to do. And I'll give you a hint. We got some good stuff coming up that the BC Club is going to get early, first, early access to, special deals on. We have some big stuff to both announce and release in the near future. And if you've been meaning to get in the BC Club, now would be a good time. All right. Today's show is going to be a great one, like I said, and it's sponsored by MeUndies. And to get 15% off your first pair and free shipping, go to MeUndies.com slash BadChristian. Today's show is also sponsored by ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring website in America. You can try ZipRecruiter for free by heading to ZipRecruiter.com slash BadChristian. Oh, hell yeah, God showed up. I don't give a shit what I put in my body. You don't ever f- talk to me that way. <laughs> so if you've never done oral, then you're extra virgin. No, girl, it's my flesh. I, I showed my dad my penis when I was 25 years old. You don't get more honest than that. Come on, people are already three. Hey, I, hey, I'm trying to do the intro. Two. I really hate life right now. One. Happy birthday Bro, come on, to you. Matt Carter from the Big Christian Pork and Joey P. Poxy. <laughs> you old <laughs> and you ugly. Happy birthday. You are fugly. Woohoo, bad Christian. Happy birthday, buddy. 39, right? Am I correct? 39. 39. I hit 39. Damn. I made it. Man, one year away from 40. And then one it all year goes away. to hell. Yeah, Matt, you just don't... 40 doesn't fit you. Just, I agree. It, it fits Toby. It fits me. Doesn't fit you. I, I'm I'm right with you there. I don't know what to do. I think about it's your it. baby face. You don't. You can't even grow a full beard. I know. I've, I've let it grow so long, and it's not. I, I thought that'd be so awesome though. Like when you're 80, you had just unreal beard. <laughs> like it's just thick and full. Like you'll but probably be pretty this, happy at, with at this point. Thrilled. That doesn't happen, right? No. I mean, your body has told you we ain't doing that. No, but we I, ain't growing that. Well, no. I mean, technically, I have. I get more body hair each year, but it's at a rate that will never. So your puberty is get super there. slow. Oh my gosh! I you know. Y'all know that my puberty was extremely late. Really? Right? Yeah. I did not know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, late bloomer is just completely what it, it would always... Like, so the first time is, you felt that urge to he was take care of business... Years with, old. He was 26. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I just mean, everything for me has been a little bit late bloom-ish. That's just very, that's just a common theme for me. Yeah. Like it, it, it's, I'm slower to figure out how it works, but I'm trying to figure out how shit works, and eventually I understand it, and then I understand it well. My body was late to the party. I'll just That's just the way it's always kind of been for me. So I feel like that predicts well for a second half. Maybe I have some cool stuff and late developments in life, and maybe I'll get a little more body hair, and maybe one day I can have a beard. But I don't think it's at, at that rate. You think it, right? it's been to your benefit or detriment that you're a late bloomer? It seems I mean, like in some ways it's, it's a benefit, right? Yeah, definitely. Well, for sure. Like, I mean, you know, I, I don't have a problem being not good at stuff and studying it until I become good at it. I'm not naturally good at things. It right. just takes a while, and then you get there if you're in – I don't know, it's just the way it feels. But I used to get made fun of for being – like, we were on the uh, – you know, in high school, I was in 11th grade. Uh, 
you know, playing tennis and stuff and then people you know they would look at that didn't have armpit hair and laugh because i didn't have armpit hair yet <laughs> you know i didn't grow until 11th and 12th grade at all i was when i got uh I, I got cut from the jv basketball team and that's all i wanted to do was be on the basketball yep. team and and when i was in 10th grade i was five six and at jv basketball tryout i Finally got to move that weight, you know, that weight on the old scales. Oh, yeah, you yeah. have 50 plus 44, yeah. 45. Plus <laughs> so I finally got to put it on 100 pounds, and I was 5'6 in the 10th grade. Golly. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's crazy. And I graduated at this size. All right. So it, I did every bit of the, my growing, my hair changed color. I yeah. got super tall. I was like, I was just trying to be a point guard, you know, and I wasn't good. <laughs> I couldn't, I got cut, you know, I couldn't, I was too little to, to, to play. I mean, I mean, do you mind if, can I get your permission to share with everybody that you definitely have the largest wiener? Well, okay. <laughs> Permission granted. <laughs> I didn't want. I didn't want anybody to. And say. you mean on Earth? <laughs> yeah. Happy birthday, Matt! What a good birthday oh, this is starting to is, turn out to be, right? This has been a sweet birthday, actually. <laughs> it's been a sweet birthday. <laughs> hey, Joey, I wanted to talk to you about something that I saw online. Yeah. So this was because you know I am a online lurker, right? Oh, like, I'm, gotcha. I lurk. Well, I saw this thing at, at Seacoast, your church for the people out there. I Joe, think I know it's coming. Do you? <laughs> I think so. Well, I saw it on Facebook where like uh, Seacoast did this kind of event thing where it's about, because like, my kids love that movie, The Greatest Show. Uh, yes, sir. That, That's yeah, what yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And so Seacoast <laughs> did, I, I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I barely even saw any of the video. Somebody posted just a little bit of the video, but it's basically like they reenacted some of the songs because yeah. it's a musical. And so Seacoast had like a guy on stilts. It looked like there was like jugglers or fires. Yeah. Breather, all, I don't know. It looked like a circus. Kind of, yeah. That's what the movie's about. And they did the songs. And <laughs> That's then, funny. That always sounds like a cut down. Look like a circus, but you're literally right, right, saying right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Seacoast looked like a circus, but they were actually going for that this Sunday. And uh, I, it was really funny because I'm friends, obviously, with several people. And some of the just pushback. I'm friends, I, obviously, I was, with several people. So, so I, well, I'm friends with several people from the church, like pastors. Right. And on some of the guys that I'm friends with on Facebook, I just saw pushback. Like, just from people going, this is uh, terrible. This isn't godly. What not, y'all are not doing? Not within Seacoast. No. I don't think so. No, there wasn't. It, okay, so within Nobody's Seacoast, do no. That on- I, I didn't know who was making the comments. So yeah. I didn't know if they went there or not. Well, basically, but just watching the videos, people were like actually kind of upset, like thinking Seacoast screwed up or did maybe did something wrong. Yeah, I, and I didn't still didn't understand. They were just saying like is making a show or a mockery of God and all right. kinds of stuff. Some of the comments I read, I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, it was like I, I mean, was that did that get out? Did was that just? Yeah, I think you probably ran into our lead pastors. Post uh, Josh Surratt yes. posted uh, the video, and then I think he said for about six hours it was chill. It was kind of the normal, right. you know, four hundred views or whatever. And then there was a couple of retweets, and then from there it just got out of hand. And yes, people were really upset. There was like a, I think it. Gosh, I wish I could remember the country that it went viral in, but it definitely went. <laughs> there was what? a country. Yeah, let me said, see if I understand because I don't know the greatest right, so, showman. So basically, and I'm not that greatest showman is production. a really big time movie that a lot of kids and adults both like. It's it came out in the uh, so Seacoast does a movie series typically every summer, and uh, they take four movies that were very popular in pop culture and they take it, they celebrate it. And then right. they try to bring some truth out of it, and honestly, they do a pretty good job with it. With the, uh, so they kicked off the series this summer with the Greatest Showman, and so before the pastor gave the sermon uh, at the at our main campus, that was basically live broadcasted to all the other campuses. There was a huge production. 
uh-huh. uh, basically depicting this movie. There were people, I think, on stilts. There were awesome dancers, and it was very theatrical. There were costumes. There was music and mm-hmm. the whole shebang. So basically, that was the video that was posted on Josh's Facebook that people just hated. They were just like, you got to be kidding me. You guys think this is church. This is ridiculous. This is a mockery. God doesn't stand for all right. this sort of thing. And to, to be quite honest with, with you, uh, um, I think it was very well done. I think it definitely could come across pretty hokey. It just kind of depends on your personality type. But me personally, I don't see it as a right or wrong. I don't understand why people are so upset about the arts being celebrated in church. Is like, it because it's that? a secular movie, just like making much of the movie? I think because people feel that when God's people gather for church Sunday morning, there's a certain thing that you do, and that's not it's one like, of them. Oh, basically, it sounds to me like they like everybody's gr- good with normal church production, but it's just crossed over some line of overproduction where yeah, that everybody, was the not, masses uh, got uh, sensitive I, about I, it. I can sum it up in one sentence. That was not reverent. That's pretty huh. much the angle people well, were coming from. That's well, not reverent. Well, they're going to hate it next week when y'all do Fifty Shades Darker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I made a similar joke one time on a Sunday morning. I said, next week we're going to uh, cover a Tarantino movie. And people right. are like, ah! <laughs> Well, so, but I mean, I don't understand why that was. It must be just over the limit because, I mean, uh, who? It, it's not like people complain all the time. People disagree that you should even have music in church. Sure. Some people sure. don't think you should have music. So obviously well, production, well, but when it reaches Super Bowl halftime levels, maybe other people start to bristle a little bit. Is sure. that all? Yeah, I mean, and Seacoast in Charleston is definitely a church that people like to throw rocks at because A, it's like the biggest church. B, they, you know, since 1988, they've been doing things that are not typical of your traditional churches, and that that puts a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. You're always going to have your sect of people that are just like, no, things have to be done traditionally. But curious what Toby thinks. So my my son, you know, I told Josh, I was just like, that's just ridiculous. Why in the world were people anti laughing, anti smiling, anti arts? And then the funny thing is, there were like a lot of reform theologians getting on there and blasting it and I was just like just tell those reformed guys that that was God's ordained plan to have <laughs> the circus on Sunday morning and that there was nothing that we could do because God had chosen to carry that out. Right. I this one's a a little bit got me in a, a mid place where I don't really have a uh lean one way or the other. And here's why. One, I do think it's a little bit of the, you know, what do you, you got to do something to make people come or be interested? At the same time, I think it was done purely out of fun. Well, and nobody knew we were going to do that. So. so yeah, yeah, nobody would. Were, they were going to do it necessarily, but they thought this is a good thing. It'll entertain people. The more so, production, the better right, philosophy. Right. right. The so bigger, I, the better. The right. bolder, the better. So I actually do like that idea of it being fun and entertaining, not taking themselves too seriously, and we'll just try stuff. And sure. they've been doing that movie series thing in the summers for a long time. I right. mean, that's, that's been a thing that they've done forever. Relate movies to it's just a thing that. Coast does, but uh, at the same time, then I go, Well, what is this? Is it entertainment? Because then I want to make it not as serious all the time, then I might would even enjoy church more. Or and then the thing we've always said, How much money did it take? What it went into this? What does it look like? What, what it looks do you, like decadence what at do some you, level, right? What do you need to enjoy church? Mm-hmm. Like, what well, that's the question I go, like, What do you need? Like, is this the th- like, how do you have to keep setting the bar higher and higher? Is that what churches do? I don't think that's what. Uh, it, and I know the folks at Seaco, so I don't think that was their intent. I think they thought, hey, this will be fun and cool, and we get to represent the movie in real life. You're going to show the movie, so who cares if they do it in real life? Right. Like that, 
Those two words is what I'm focusing on. Who cares? Right. Like, seriously, yes. who cares? Right. Who cares? Well, well, the 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 big question there is: Is there any argument that it could be detrimental to somebody's walk? Like it, what they did, could it like lead somebody away from God, or, or is what sure. they doing? Well, like, I, I mean, mean, a good argument for it is that you're turning this into some clown show of production where there's nothing of seriousness to be here. It's just Super Bowl halftime show. Yeah. And as long as the numbers, are, I mean, that's a, a way to criticize it. That's not. I'm not my point right. of view. I would say that it goes into this category that's been bugging me a little bit. Bugging me so bad I don't go to church, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> but it's like the boundaries of of church. I'm 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 just they're just I'm just lost. I don't know what they even are. What does it even mean anymore? I, and that sounds so stupid and postmodern. But it's like we grew up in the time where it was like, is church where the whole key phrase was? You know what? The church isn't here. The church is all of us. Right. And that was this big thing. And then even further with that, it got to where. You know, at Mars Hill and all these other reformed places, it, it started to have this approach where it's like your Christianity is your whole life. Everything you do is worship. And if that was true, I think they actually had a critical, I don't know if I'm making sense here. Tell me if I'm not. But that was kind of a critical boundary at the point where you've told people that your whole life is worship and everything, and we the church is outside these walls and everything else, they kind of got out of hand a little bit for them because then they're not in control of it anymore. Yeah. So they were trying to tell you, you need to do all these things when you're not at church the way we're telling you to do them is what I heard them say. But what they really did was just say, well, you don't need to worry that much about what happens on Sunday morning here was the message I received. And so now when you have all these people doing house churches, all these people are like, I am a Christian, I love God, but that that church production stuff, who cares about How could that even be the important part? Right. That's the message that was received by many because right. we, we disintegrated the church and said, well, this is just the service, but it's your whole life. But they assumed your whole life would be reading their Bible study, following right. their rules, doing it the way they wanted you to. Right. And so now the cat's kind of out of the bag. So people feel a little more free to just take it or leave it right. for what and, the production thing is on Sunday. Who yeah. cares? And, and let's not forget that a lot of these people that got on his posts and blasted this are the same people that are arguing about carpet color at their church. Well, yeah, you know I mean, yeah. saying these, some of these people are just like, be quiet. None, none of this matters, but. All right, pardon interruption, but I got to talk about something that I've talked about a million times and can't get over it. And I'll tell you why I'm so obsessed with, you guessed it, me undies. I'm obsessed with them. And it's pretty much this simple. When I wake up in the morning, which I don't like to do, I'm a little bit groggy. I'm not in the best mood, but I actually get excited because I get to go to my underwear drawer, pick out a pair of me undies that I can wear for the day. And you know me, I don't wear any obnoxious clothes. I kind of try to blend in. But y'all don't know what I've got going on under my pants on my favorite parts in my body. I might have some wild print or something going on, and y'all wouldn't even know it. But I know it, and it adds just a little bit of enjoyment to my day. There's tons of stuff that you have and you forget about, like your car, you know? Like you thought you loved your car when you bought it, but now it's just kind of dirty and you don't get a lot of pleasure in it every time you go start it up or anything. That's not true of my underwear. Me undies are great. And that's all just talking about how fun they are. That's not even talking about how comfortable and functional they are. They use a micromodal fabric, which is a full three times softer than regular cotton. I couldn't even believe how soft they were when I first got them. And it's the exact fabric that you were going to want down there, softer than cotton. So these guys they have a great website. It's fun to go on and pick out new stuff, fun to get it in the mail. They release multiple fun prints each month and matching socks. They do bracelets. I mean, it's, it's cool. 
I tell you what, my favorite pair is a solid orange pair for the Clemson Tigers that nobody ever sees but me. It's great. They have a 100% satisfaction guarantee, and you're going to love these undies. But if for some crazy reason you're not into it, you just send them back full refund. They also just launched a brand new membership thing that I think is quite cool. So you can just level up your top drawer with new MeUndies each month, and the members gain access to exclusive prints, and they get special member pricing on every product that MeUndies makes, and you can switch styles or skip any month you want to. Pretty easy. Now, here's the cool part. You get 15% off your first pair, free shipping, and 100% satisfaction guarantee if you just go to MeUndies.com slash badchristian. It's very simple. It's very awesome. You'll like it. Then you'll thank me next time I see you. That's MeUndies.com slash badchristian. All right. But I don't know. I mean, really, I guess overall, it's just, it seems like that they want to do all the production stuff to just be your hub for entertainment no, they entirely. Don't. That's stupid. They, they, they want you to get all your fun. entertainment from the church. What's wrong with this having? Some it's, fun. A, it's fun. It's fun. It's okay. Uh, but. Guys, um, sorry to interrupt. And and seriously, once again, so excited to be working with you and Reba Hansen on the Bad Christian Podcast. Letting me do sound on this podcast is unbelievable. But um, can I just comment here for just a second on what Reba? You guys are did you give about? Steve a mic? Reva, I'm sorry. I did plug it in myself. It's not her fault, guys. But seriously, uh, what I want to ask, you guys know that I work at the Gathering at Trinity Grace, right? Yeah, Toby yeah. said you, he got you that job because of your, because the resume of working on Song Rescue. That's one of the things, and thank God they don't drug test. <laughs> 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 but seriously, let me tell you, um, just a few months ago, we did this huge, huge production for the Christmas pageant. And um, we had, they were like, Steve, we want to be it, this to be bigger and badder and more amazing than it's ever been. So I actually went to Shelton's Fireworks and I set them up on the side of the stage <laughs> when baby Jesus is crowned king of the world. And, and it was amazing, right? Except for one thing. I'm no pyrotechnic artist. One of the fucking rockets shot right into the front row, hitting a lady right in her gut. I was so scared. Are you I, had no, I had no idea what was going to happen. And you want to talk about praying? I thought my job was over. That lady stood up, started dancing and saying, God spoke to her through her burns. Wait, oh are gosh. you sure she wasn't just screaming the name of God in, in, in pain or something? It could have been that, Matt. I'm not sure. The craziest thing was how expensive it was. I'm not kidding. That one production was $75,000. Whoa, whoa, hang on a second. Hang on a second, Steve. I'm not. I don't know the ins and outs of the make a church thing, but that yeah. number sounds a little. Uh, I'm not. Where did really you sure. get that number? Seventy five thousand. How much did you spend on the fireworks? It was something like crazy, though. I know that that church has all kinds of money. They don't pay me enough. I tell you that. But I just want to say, I don't always know if production is better, but it's so fun. I think that. It's helping me know Jesus Christ more through fireworks. So you had been listening to this conversation. You have no problem with it. Would you? Would you I say love you're... singing. I love dancing. I love pyro. I love porno. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> anyway, I'll let you guys get back to it. Seriously. <laughs> Reva, did you seriously? You, you couldn't. Keep him from getting a mic. Can we make that a rarity? Yeah, he just does stuff. I, I can't. Is, it, is Steve? Oh, guys, is, I'm still here. <laughs> mute his mic. Mute it. Sorry. Um, is Sorry, he? Is, is is Steve being helpful to you? I, everybody wants to know. But Reva's obviously overloaded with doing the amount of yeah, engineering, you've been doing so much, I and mean, all, all the stuff. So we we hired Steve also. So Steve's going to be doing some of the mixing and editing and engineering stuff because of that background. It's but. it's nice to have an extra hand, but he's a little unpredictable. <laughs> That's all right. We'll get we'll get him, we'll get him <laughs> in the pipeline. Anyway, thank you, Steve, and thank you, Reva. Okay.
All right. Hiring people is not always easy. In fact, most of the times it's kind of hard. There's either too many applicants or not enough, or you don't really know what you're getting. That's why ZipRecruiter handles everything. Oh man, they're so good. They make it, they make hiring simple, fast, and smart. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. And ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post to ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. So with results like that, it's no wonder ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. And right now our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive address, ZipRecruiter.com slash badchristian. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash badchristian. That's B-A-D-C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash badchristian. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, Mark, how you doing, man? Doing great. Great to be here. Excited to see you. Uh, what, what unfolds here? Yeah, for sure. You wrote us uh, it's a while back, and I know you're a busy dude, and so uh, we're glad to finally have you on here. And you were cool enough. You wrote us because uh, you have a, a, a book. Uh, when, is it out yet? Or is it, it's, it's already out, right? People can get it right now, Divine Echoes? It sure is. Divine Echoes, Reconciling Prayer with the Uncontrolling Love of God, and it's uh, it's doing great. Yeah. It's uh, that. It really, it, it's all about like petitionary prayer and how prayer works. And so I, when you wrote us, I was like, are you okay if we might not believe in it? We don't even know where we're at with petitionary <laughs> prayer because Joey, who is a pastor is really, this is a, this is a something that really comes up in, mm-hmm. I think people's faith and in their, you know, belief in God and Jesus way more. Joey, you, you, you have struggled with this kind of for a while, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, it, well, what's interesting is this is one theological concept that my, the struggle isn't painful. Like when I thought through hell and stuff, that stuff was like painful seasons where this to me is just more interesting. And I think, I think where I'm at right now is if petitionary prayer works, there's no way we'll ever know. And there's no way we can ever prove it because for every miracle example that someone gives, I can give them 10 examples of how people prayed similar prayers and it didn't work. And uh, uh, there was a line in the sand for me. So obviously I've seen a lot of tragedies and been around a lot of families hoping for a miracle. And the last one was about a year and a half ago. And uh, a guy at our church uh, was pretty much in a comatose state. And his his parents were raised to believe, hey, if you ask, you shall receive. Like if you ask for good things and believe in the name of Jesus, he, you know, he'll deliver, especially with something like this. And uh, we, you know, we all stood in faith. We stood by them, and we all believed. And uh, Bronson passed away, which is the same thing that has happened in every every time I've been in that situation where the doctors say there's no chance. The doctors have always been right. Now this that's just me, but the doctors have always been right. So, uh, it, and I mean, I could just give you. There, I don't think there's a lot of examples in the Bible of petitionary prayer. And the one time that Paul prays a petitionary prayer, God says no. Like, my grace is sufficient. Sorry, not going to do what you're asking me for. And, uh, you know, I, and then to top it all off, well, I'll stop there because I'm sure. We'll <laughs> <laughs> Very passionate. Very That's passionate. why we wanted to bring you on, Mark, because your story is really interesting, too, about 
your basic deconstruction and reconstruction. We can even start from the beginning because uh, I know you resonate with a lot of what Joey was saying. I want to believe, Mark. I want to believe. And, and that's the thing is, with pr- I think prayer is super important for our relationship with God. I just think God is so smart and he knows better for us than we know. So it's just like ha- half the time I'm praying, I'm thinking, well, God probably knows that's not best for me anyway. So... Well, listen, you might have the wrong guest on because I'm not going to convince you of the power of petitionary prayer. I actually think it's one of the most um, devastating sacred practices that contributes to a lot of evil and suffering in the world. So I'm not going to convince. Now, that's a bold statement that needs a lot of unpacking. But uh, yeah. So, you know, I could start my story or the unpacking. You even mentioned, can we prove it? There's you know, I'm also a, a clinician or a licensed therapist. There's actually research that has been done to try to prove the efficacy of petitionary prayer. Yeah. So there's they're trying to research and study it. And there's, you know, there's that big $2.4 million study uh, right. from Harvard and the Templeton Foundation that tried to prove that very thing. Now, now real quick, though, yeah. when it comes to proving, proving petitionary prayer, you still can't, like, you, you may be able to prove that petitionary prayer works, but it, you can't prove that it worked because of a supernatural God. I mean, you, you could say, yeah, it works, but then science could say, yeah, well, I mean, you all believed belief is good for the brain, uh, placebo effect, you know what I'm saying? I mean, right, you but can't the studies God for efficacy it. of does it do anything, and, and Mark, I'm, I would, I'd be surprised if it found anything at all that said... Well, can I share with yeah, you the results? Do. Yeah. Well, like I was saying, in $2.4 million, that's a lot of freaking money. Yeah, and so they, they were studying the therapeutic effects of intercessory prayer on on patients uh, recovering from coronary artery bypass surgery. Mm-hmm. So three three groups, and uh, the randomly placed in three different groups. The, and the members of two of the groups were told that they may or may not receive prayer, and only one of those groups were actually to receive it. So mm-hmm. interesting uh, things yeah. maybe you could show there. And the third group was told they would receive prayer. So one of the groups was told you will be prayed for. And so they were prayed for by Christians and Catholics for 14 days. And this is, can I read you the results of this? Yeah. 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 Intercessory prayer itself had no effect on whether there were, uh, you know, any uh, healing or recovery or anything. But the most interesting part of the study was those who were told they were being prayed for actually became worse. And so many, many declared it a $2.4 million failure. The critics and me- media had a field day. News, uh, was it Newsweek, who had a, they had a you know, story, and a, the, the headline was, Don't Pray For Me, Please. Dang. So very, very interesting study. But if, if it could prove that prayer worked, then God's some kind of moral monster, right? That he would actually let people get sick and die because people didn't, pray or in my words talk to him um to recover so what kind of god is that and think about that in in context of people that believe they can pray for someone to get to heaven i mean that used to bother me too it's just like everybody's praying for uncle johnny to get saved and he gets saved and it's like what about the other uncle johnny in another state where nobody's praying for him (laughs) i mean listen that's why one of my theses is much of prayer it portrays God as some kind of unloving, passive, arbitrary monster. Yeah. I mean, listen, who are we really thinking God is? Yeah. Like, doesn't God love that person more than we do? 
you know, and we're like begging God like a dog waiting from scraps from to fall from the heavenly archives so that people can be, I mean, come on, who is this kind of God? And you yes. experienced the same thing in your own life, right? Like with your, your family members, like were you taught that like cry out to God and God will heal or deliver? That's kind of part of yeah. your story, isn't it? It is. I mean, if one ask, well, Mark, where does this impetus come from? Where does your passion come from to, to sort of investigate, deconstruct, and reconstruct prayer? That's the whole nature of the book. And it starts with my family. You know, here I am. This was uh, many years ago as a new Christian, fervent about prayer. Actually, I got saved in a Pentecostal church. So they were very much uh, hoorah about prayer, <laughs> warring in the heavens. Apparently, our prayers was like helping fight angels and or demons. Very uh, interesting. Daniel but my mom, yeah, well, we can get into that too. <laughs> but um, my mom was addicted to drugs as far back as I could remember, and of course, me as a as a Christian, I was like, I was praying, I, w- I was fasting, I was I was having communities pray and fast. Like, God, please save my mother day after day and year after year. I, my heartfelt prayer was for God to save her and rid her of her debilitating addiction. And to make a long story short, she died from a drug overdose, right? Mm. So, of course, devastated, heartbroken. Yeah. What were my prayers doing? And then I had another family member, my dear brother, one of the most loving, creative, outgoing, intelligent people I knew, life of the party, and he was diagnosed with uh, paranoid schizophrenia and like praying. And I remember our church at the time, we were uh, praying for him and trying to quote, cast out the demon of mental illness, uh, you know, fasting the whole nine yards. But unfortunately, to this day, he rots in a prison cell because he, you know, off his medication, he hurt somebody really bad. And then in prison, they didn't give him meds after a certain period of time, and he murdered someone. Oh, my God. Now now he's in prison for the rest of his life. But, you know, it started, you know, I was asking very poignant questions. And I remember this, uh, you know, Dallas Willard, the the late Christian philosopher, said, the idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether or not we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who profess sincere belief in Christ. And that specter was haunting me. Yeah. And there were other, there were other. Hey, that's that's uh, worth saying movies. again. Will you say that one more time? Uh, the, the Dallas Willard quote. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to hear that again. Sure. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who profess sincere belief in Christ. No doubt. Gotcha. And and that specter was haunting me. And as someone who traveled to Indonesia and Thailand, Korea, and all these other, other, like everyone's praying for health and prosperity and what's going on here? And I started yeah. deconstructing my own prayers, prayers of the... Yeah, we had a little bit of a disruption, but I, you, you were talking about how you'd gone to other places and, and you're right. It seems like people do cry out to God usually for prosperity or health or, or personal things. But one question, with all of this happening with your, your family, did it... Was it just prayer you started questioning, or did you actually start having doubts in God, too, that he even existed? Like, that's where a lot of people start. Yeah, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't one of the things that haunted me. Because um, even then, I had a really deep experience 
with God that uh-huh. no matter what happened, I knew that God was love. Yeah. And also, I, you know, being inquisitive, I also had a funny sense that something had to do with free will. Yeah. Um, and, but in, in the midst of all that, I, w- I think it was prayer. I mean, like I said, it was some of the roots of my questioning. And then looking at different cultures and saying, well, they're doing the same thing that Christians are doing. Like prayer is as old as humans been sentient. I mean, it's just something... It's something that we do, I, you know, almost like the superstitious, you know, I just started really questioning everything about prayer and then realizing, man, if it doesn't work, we're contributing to suffering and, and evil in the world. Because if we're placing all the responsibility on God to do something about a very tragic situation or a person in crisis, and we're believing God is a sole agent of change, you know, what's, what's happening to those people? Right. Well, since I don't believe I'm primarily God's hands and feet and he primarily uses me, then that person's going to suffer even more. And it, there, for example, there's you know, stories of, of people dying, like Herbert and Catherine Schabel. Christians love God, went to church. In 2009, they suffered the tragic death of their two-year-old son, Kent. He died of untreated bacterial pneumonia. Uh-huh. Why? Because they believed in the power of prayer. They believed in a God who can single-handedly and unilaterally come down and instantly heal their child. But it gets even worse. In 2013, they had another child, and that child also died from uh, untreated bacterial pneumonia. But for me... Because they believe in the power of prayer. But for me, it was like, it's easy to judge those parents for neglecting their children. But how many of us are guilty of something similar? Like how many times throughout our lives have we prayed fervently for those uh, suffering and in distress, placing the responsibility of God to answer our prayers, while those for whom we prayed suffered needlessly because we took no responsibility Mm. to be part of God's answer to our prayer? I mean, that, that really hit me in reflecting like that. How many societal ills have gone on for decades while people pray but neglect to use wisdom and to take divinely inspired practical action for these Like things? it's a shortcut or something? Like it's a way to assuage your guilt? Like, well, I did all I can do. Well, yeah, I could have really? fed them, but really? I did something better than that. I asked God to handle it. Now I'm back to my racquetball game. And yeah, it's, but so does that make sense why it would increase suffering in the world if we had that view of prayer and God didn't do anything because God was waiting on us? God cannot control or coerce other people. God wanted that person to be healed too, probably. It's just, yeah. So like, Mark, you're you're bumming me the hell out, first of all. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but I do see what you're saying about the suffering because also just from the standpoint of you believe in God and have hope and faith in this good and just God and he won't even heal you and you cry out and you spend all this time doing it, you're, day after day, you're, like when you're talking about your family, like your mom, for example, mm-hmm. day after day you suffered. Not only her, you were suffering anyway, but even that time that you spent it actually, you each day God didn't answer. Each get day God uh, uh, avoided you or didn't give you any hope or anything. There was nothing there, so it, it has to just feel empty on both sides too. Like they're, they're for me, yeah. it's really frustrating because it it just seems like you're right. What what kind of God just only picks and chooses who and if you pray the most or like I was oh told I was goodness. told m- bunches of times too. Like 
you just don't have enough faith. Like yes. then people put it on you. You know yep. what I mean? Like that that's a real issue. Yeah, too. like you can mess up a, a group of people that are are gathered united in prayer. If you're the one person that's lacking in faith, you can mess everything up. I mean, right. that, that's the sort of mentality. I actually just found a text on my phone. It's a mass text amongst family members, extended family members, and here is what a family member said. And this is about uh, one of my family members is saying, my husband really needs this job. Please pray. So here's a response that uh, someone said. Tell him to speak to that job as though it is his. Jesus <laughs> said to call things that are not as though they are. Speak to that job about Jesus. Say that that job is his in the name of Jesus and believe, doubt not, he shall have what he says. And hmm. the person that texted that, it, he, he believes in that sort of prayer mainly when it comes to health and prosperity. And is your friend now actually a sandwich artist, Joey? Did he get the job? <laughs> did he get the job at Subway? <laughs> he Mark, did, what man. do you say to that when people are, are saying that? Yeah, I mean, for me, I, in my book, I, I distinguish between uh, basic needs and discre- uh, discretionary needs. Um, so for me, the impetus or, or the main thrust of the book is focusing on basic needs, right? But for me, basic needs is... Um, you know, it's, it's health and flourishing and freedom from poverty and freedom from racism and oppression and marginalization and, you know, healing. All these things, in my mind, are, are a yes and amen to God, right? Yeah. Um, for example, like I just posted this on my Facebook, right? So many times on Facebook, you mentioned Facebook, people will pray, listen, this family's in distress. Please pray God would comfort them and pour out his grace in them. Yeah. And I'm thinking, my God, isn't God already seeking to love them as much as God (laughs) could in the moment? So I'm like, you know, pouring, pouring, asking God to comfort and pour out his grace on them is like asking my wife to do the dishes while she's in the middle of doing the dishes. It's better to ask God, how can I join you in extending your comfort and grace to them? Just as as it's better to ask my wife, hey, honey, how can I help you with that? Yeah, it's like it comes back to the character and nature of God, and and for me, that's where people, that's where people get amiss. You know, yeah. why don't people get healed? It's not because God is picking and choosing. It's for me, and this gets into the uncontrolling love of God. God can't do some things, and that really like messes with Christians. What do you mean, God can't? You know, there because God's nature. Yeah, is what love, do you mean, Mark? <laughs> so like an open theistic. Point of view is what you're getting at. Yeah, I mean, for me, God's nature is uncontrolling love. Like God cannot lie. We read that. Listen, it's scripture. God can't be tempted. God can't be prejudiced. And Isaiah forty twenty eight. God can't get tired. God's love precludes God from unilaterally controlling others. God's love precludes God from single handedly intervening in events. So for me, when I see a healing. That's when God, plus a person's free will, plus other variables like the cells in their body, the the geographical location they're in, the water that they're drinking, dozens of other variables contribute to what we consider miracles. But when we don't see a healing, uh, it's not because God said, yeah, you know that 12-year-old kid with leukemia? I had 39 people who prayed. If I only had 40, I would have healed them instantly. (laughs) 
As if they were that, failed GoFundMe right. campaigns. Yeah. My God, what kind of God is that? But for me, it makes sense that God's heart was to heal that child. What stopped God from doing so? God's love is uncontrolling. God requires cooperation, not just from human beings, but from every aspect of his creation, which also gets into other nuanced conversations. Yeah. So you're so saying you're that saying... God can't do certain things. So God can heal sometimes if the cells cooperate? Well, cells, uh, people's free will, uh, location, organs. I mean, it's a whole myriad of contexts and variables that would blow my mind if I actually understood them. And God is but one of the variables. God's, yes, God's love, God's active love in the world is one variable. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. God cannot do certain things. And uh, that's that's what I'm trying do to you, uh, portray in the. In but the, let, in let the, me ask the question. I mean, so, but obviously, why wouldn't God heal though? You're saying that He does not can't. heal, be, but right. for the reason because we have free will, or just I mean, He doesn't. I mean, He even He you would say He wants to heal people. You said that, but yes. He can't. He can't that's because correct. what's the simple answer? He can't heal. You know your grandpa of cancer because he's just a man, or well, uh, listen, your, your it's, it's nuanced here, right? Yeah. You know, we we read in in the text that Jesus could not do certain things because of their lack of faith, right? Yeah. But I would never say that's the only variable that keeps people from being healed. That would be cruel. That would be like, oh, so it was my fault. I would never shame somebody like that. But just as Jesus alludes to and points to people's free will, and I I call it like God has an open door policy because God doesn't barge his way in. So free will and a surrendered heart is only one variable in the whole whole mix here, right? If you look at a pie chart, it's going to be free will. It's going to be cells. It's going to be... Uh, it could be unforgiveness. It could be, it could be things that are in their bodies, that organs that cannot cooperate for some whatever reason. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So it's all these variables in one that contribute to what we call healing. And, and I, and I want to make note that I think the free will thing is problematic because to me that does not that, that doesn't highlight a loving God if if you make the application of me being a father because – my kid run, tries to run into the interstate, and I'm not going to say, well, I love him so much, I'm going to give him free will. Even though I told him to stand next to me, he's running, and because I love him, I'm going to let him do that. No, because I love him, I'm going to completely infringe on his free will. I'm going to grab him and not yeah. let them do that. So the free will thing, I, I don't. I well, guess let, I don't get can, that. Can I, can I uh, push back on that just yeah. a little? Yeah. yeah. The, the only problem is, is that God is a disembodied spirit. God doesn't have hands and feet uh, in, in the sense of his metaphysical spirit. I mean, where are his hands and feet, right? Yeah. So would Jesus, who was embodied, who had hands and feet, stop a little kid from getting you know, run over by a donkey? Yeah. I think so. <laughs> but God doesn't have a body except for us. Yeah, you wouldn't world. call that free will either, Joey, that you limited of your kid. That doesn't validate the fact that he has free will. That's just an action you took, right? And, and it's, you yeah. know, he still has will and agency. Mm-hmm. When we think of God controlling, um, many people think of, well, he'd basically be a puppeteer. I mean, so even when you did that to your child, I have a child that would definitely do that. We don't fully control them. 
they still have a will, they still have agency, but we did use a physical coercion to keep them from danger and evil. Yeah. Now, would God, would God do that? I think God would, but God is spirit, and that does limit what God can do uh, on the earth. And, and in that too, Joey, you're, you have free will to go and stop your kid. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? Like, you're, you are ex- actually exercising right. your free will to go, I'm going to stop this person from A, B, C, or whatever. Yeah, and your kid it, has free will to fight you or escape or be mad at you or resist or right. whatever. I mean, so you didn't interfere sure, sure, with sure. his yeah. free will in, the, in any way. It's just pair, no, it's just pairing it with yeah. love is what I don't buy. Well, so you could fight with God, right? You could struggle and yeah. fight with God about a, an issue, I suppose, but that wouldn't have him, that still wouldn't be infringing on free will. Right, but uh, uh, Mark, I, w- I want to yeah. ask this question too. Sure, um, sure. With pain and suffering, it's, it's, that is probably the hardest thing for people to reconcile with, and with their faith in God. Is our free will the reason why there is sickness and pain and death? Uh, uh, is that is that what you're saying too? Like God would never choose that for us. I mean, you could probably take this all the way back to the story of Adam and Eve, but are we the root cause of the suffering? And so that is our free will being enacted? You know what? I wouldn't put the uh, emphasis on free will uh-huh. because um, if God volitionally said, I'm not going to single-handedly or unilaterally stop, stop evil um, because I want to honor their free will, that means God can but chooses not to. Yeah, and even worse than that, you know, for many Christians, God does single-handedly stop some events, uh, yeah. but chooses not to. The emphasis is actually on God's uncontrolling love. Love simply does not coerce or control, and that—that's the thing here. So when you think about why there's so much evil and suffering, you know, it, it's in part because God created a world where God doesn't unilaterally control anything, even creation, which is why there's many theistic evolutionists Mm -hmm. believing that, you know, evolution or some form of it uh, guided by God, and that makes sense. I mean, if we've been here billions of years, it definitely looks like God didn't control or force something, but through the cooperative elements of randomness and cells and... And, and then eventually you get to sentient beings, there's this long um, evolutionary process that's not controlled but guided, some in process theology would call God's luring, uh, but in the lore towards that which is good, beautiful, and true, it's still not controlling it. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of invitation and luring and inspiring, but never controlling. So why so, do we... Yeah, go ahead. Uh, along those lines, when it comes to creation, so let's say the first tsunami that ever took place and wiped out 15 people in a little village on the coast, did God say, oh my gosh, I didn't know that could happen? Or is God saying, oh my gosh, I, I messed up in my creation? Like, what what's going on in God's head, according yeah. to your uh, framework? Well, since I'm best friends with God, let me tell you exactly what he thinks. Now, listen, I thought about that very thing. Uh, I'm one who holds to the uncontrolling love of God, but I still have some angst towards God for this very reason. Yeah. Um, I, think God, I think God took a risk, and love risks. When God created, and God perhaps did not know exactly what would occur, God took a risk in, like, we take a risk when we have children, 
We know mm-hmm. they're going to get hurt and suffer, yeah. but we have children anyway, right? Um, so I don't know if God as love, who's uncontrolling, took a risk to create. Uh, and then within that, it was this multiplicity of events of God co-creating in each moment where events upon events upon events would ultimately culminate into what we call humans. But even there, that's this is where I have some angst with God. God chose, well, this is a point in evolutionary history where I can lure creation towards sentient beings. Or maybe God in his free will could say, I might not do that. Um, but God, God did. And, and so we're conscious, we're sentient, and perhaps that's, that's something really special and unique and can only happen without being controlled. But it comes with some very obviously difficult and painful uh, circumstances. Now, do you see God as uh, omnipresent, omniscient? Like, can does yeah. He hear everybody's prayers? Omnipotent. Yeah. Yeah, I would say God's omnibenevolence. You know, in that God loves all. A moment to moment, God is seeking to maximize the good in in every creature's life. But is like, He actually here? Like, there's probably a. Um, millions of people praying right now to Jehovah, Jesus Christ's dad. Is he yeah. hearing them all and able to and wean yes. through them? And okay, Yeah, the understanding of God being omniscient, knowing all that can possibly be known in this very moment is is very true and real for me. Yes. Could I get does, in, does he, he, in the middle of this with a, just an analogy? There's a couple of terms uh, here that I fundamentally want to look at from a little bit of different point of view. One is what we would consider miracle, natural, supernatural. But could we try to look at the context of, uh, you know, if functionally speaking, mm-hmm. if I were to or the society in the future were able to create a computer simulation that people could live in— um, that would effe- that would effectively make this make the creator of that simulation. Let's say it's Google, uh, and inside the simulation there are conscious beings having a conscious existence. Then, mm-hmm. of course, Google is God in that analogy, and maybe more than an analogy, that simply would be the case. Do we agree about that? Well, he would be the creator of that world, right? So Google yes. creates yeah, yeah. an actual virtual world that does contain conscious beings. And they, they created the simulation, let's say, to look like Earth in 1950, whatever it was. They created the simulation, and there are beings that inhabit it. To those beings, Google, the programmer, the computer, are mm-hmm. what we're describing as God. Full, you know, mm-hmm. They have power and all that stuff. Yeah, sure. However, that doesn't indicate that Google is all is entirely capable of every all powerful or benevolent or loves or hears and there's certainly within if I made a computer simulation I would not there'd be plenty of things about the computer simulation that I would not be able to control that almost mm-hmm. sounds like the description of the way that you're describing God which actually kind of maybe challenges more you know uh, if you're if you're comfortable with that it's just saying he has more he is a God meaning he's a lot more powerful than us but it is reasonable to question how good he is or what specific powers this God that could create this world may or may not possess is that not open for discussion is that what we're doing yeah I mean if for me the the conversation around what does an all-powerful God look like and what does God's power really mean in everyday events um, for me, that's a very pertinent discussion 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm comfortable yeah. saying he's not all powerful. Like maybe he's not then. Maybe he's just powerful enough to create this, but not powerful enough to X, Y, Z. Is that not possible? Yeah. I mean, it's it sort of said like this. God is all powerful in that God is being the most loving being that exists, has more love and more understanding and more interaction and relationship with any other uh, you know, creature or that exists. Mm-hmm. In other words, God is powerful in that way, but not powerful in sort of a Hitler-esque dictatorship, mm-hmm. authoritarian, autocratic power. Mm-hmm. But, but not God's all powerful lo- then. Well, that depends how you define all powerful. How, how you define it, yeah, exactly. So See, I'm, I'm just saying power- God's powerful enough, but for some things, but not powerful enough for, I mean, he also did create this reality, so he could have created it differently, right? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting that perhaps God co-created the reality. In other words, within the cooperation of every element that existed within the evolutionary timeline, God was interacting with that moment to moment, where it was not so much a controlling power, well, I'm going to instantly create this, but through time, God was inviting, luring, and had some level of power that wasn't fully controlling, mm-hmm. but more like us, what God does to us, right? Except for his power is immeasurable and ours is measurable. Like our, the effects that we have on the world, we can measure and notice. The effects that he has on the world co-creating moment to moment, we can't detect at all. Is that correct? Well, well, you know, we can't measure spirit and spirit's interaction with every cell and person in the entire universe. What, but why and not? Like if a spirit, if it, a ghost pushed my coffee cup off of my desk right now, we can notice that, even though we don't see the ghost. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, will, will we get to a point where we can actually detect and empirically mm-hmm. validate God's actual presence? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But he's, at least right now, I, I can see the wind, but God isn't wind. But, but we have the explanatory, do, you know, knowledge of what the wind is, though, with no gaps, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And I can't tell you right now that. Well, I, let me tell you exactly what the spirit does. But it's more of a a faith claim, I, I mm-hmm. think, because you can't validate that. Uh, my my faith claim that God is interacting moment to moment, loving, healing, inspiring to the extent that God can while respecting free will, creaturely free will, and the law-like regularities, ultimately that's a faith claim. Mm-hmm. I, I, can't, I, can't one, I can't prove it. Do you believe in miracles? Yeah. I believe... Or define them, please, if you do, either way. That's a good yeah, exercise yeah. for anybody. No, no, listen, I believe in miracles, but for me, people miss the fact that my talking to you and breathing is a miracle. Mm-hmm. But if we're going to define miracle as sort of this unusual event, that's typically a good event... That's something we don't see every day. I believe in those, but we must understand that even in those, the reason why we don't see it all the time is because for me, when I look at that, that's a special event that involves God's special action in relation to creation. In other words, it's an amalgam of cooperative elements and agencies that takes place in that very moment that brings forth what we call a miracle. Mm-hmm. Right, so for me, when someone gets healed out of the blue, no explanation, that wasn't because God arbitrarily chose to heal that person, but because God was seeking to love and heal moment to moment, that God plus free will, plus surrendered heart, plus cells, plus the air, plus the water, plus things I can't, I don't know because I'm not a physicist, Mm 
Those are all, all your those... variables that you think kind of go into that. But if that's the case, then yeah. why not volume of petitionary prayer being, being a variable? Well, for me, I don't because I think God is loving moment to moment to the best that God can. My prayer to for God to increase God's love for me is a little bit silly. It's like, hey, God, could you be more loving? It's yeah. like, no, I already believe that. That's why for me, when I look at my brother having mental illness, uh, or you know, what I'm saying it's like I I know in my heart now. I'm not blaming God. I know that God's grieving with me. That my prayer is God's prayer for him to be healed. I know that God's not saying, you know what, I'm just choosing not to. So I don't have to look at God as a moral monster. I can look at my brother and say, listen, me and God are on the same page. I wish God could, but I know that God can't. And another variable in that situation would be the freaking unjust prison system that starves him, gives him shit food, that, that has guards that beat him sometimes, degrade him. Mm-hmm. You want to know why he's not getting healed? Well, that's going to be one variable Nutrition's in the mix. And God, in yeah. <laughs> <I agree. laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. Do, do we make too much application from Jesus's life and then the uh, early disciples and acts that truly did go around, if, if it's historically accurate, which I believe most of those narratives are, they went around, they healed people. I mean, my gosh, shadows were healing people. Do you think we, in 2018, make too much of that saying, oh, yeah, well, that's that's what we should be doing, too? And your different elements of what works as far as the geographical location and the elements and all that stuff, what, mm-hmm. were things just lined up perfectly because of it actually being Jesus and actually being the, the early manifestations of the church? Yeah, there's several things there um, that gets very tricky. Hey, Mark, Jesus went around healing everybody. Are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I think it's, it's a mixed bag. I, yeah. I still wrestle with it. First of all, if we do find healing, I, 99% of the time you're going to find people who cooperated with Jesus. So you're not going to find someone who said, screw you, Jesus. You're a jerk. I don't want healing. You're not going to find that kind of person getting healed. It's yeah. usually people who came to him, surrendered their hearts, were open. Uh, you know, like we read in that passage, some people in Jesus' own hometown couldn't be healed because it's not because God, Jesus wasn't powerful, but somehow God's, Jesus' power could not force or control or coerce those people. Yeah. But it also gets into mythology. Listen, when you have a, a kid convulsing on the floor, if, uh, if I was around in that time period, I would have said, that dude's got straight up demons in him. Oh, and yeah. those de- demons not got to be cast out. You know, for it me, literally there has have been to be the an... best explanation at the time. Now, people get, to, yeah. people get in really flustered because of that. Yeah. But I'm sorry, I'm just not, you know, that whole demon bit. You know, I don't walk around. That's just not my worldview. I'm not saying they don't exist, but uh, yeah, that's a really uh, tough one for me. But perhaps demons, even in that period, maybe they had free will too. <laughs> I, I have no idea, right? <laughs> Jesus, Jesus gave them an option. Listen, you can go in those pigs, right? Uh, okay, we'll do that. You know, well, it's certainly it, so, possible that demons and epilepsy both exist. And if that's true, we can imagine they both existed through all of human history, it's just only for most of human history, we didn't know about the epilepsy part. So well, we've gotten listen, a certain amount of those for, wrong, for, at least. 
Well, listen, if you believe in demons, and I put this challenge all the time, I don't think you believe in demons. You might intellectually assent to that belief, but for me, and as you know, James says, faith without action is dead. When was the last time you cast a demon out because someone was sick or had a headache or had a sickness? Uh, why aren't you in hospitals literally casting demons out because you believe in them and you want to model and follow after Jesus and he's your savior? So why aren't you doing that? It could be possibly because you really don't believe it. You intellectually believe it, but as far as an embodied experiential lifestyle of actually change. believing, yeah. yeah. So that's, I push back a little on that too. I think I'm with you on that. Yeah. I, uh, all right, Mark, I know we got to let you go here in a second, but it, oh, one, this thing is that, fun. <laughs> one thing that you got me thinking about is, is pretty yeah. interesting is that, is, is that idea of like, uh, when y'all were talking about omnipotence, I just looked up the definition. I, I mean, I generally know what it means, obviously, but the actual definition is having unlimited power and able to do anything. Mm-hmm. And so my thought was, because I've always kind of struggled with that idea, if God can do anything, that means that would have to encompass he can't do things too. Like he has the power to not do things or whatever that might be. So maybe there is something there of God maybe uh, set some stuff up and then we're there. But I, I like the idea of God is powerful and does care. Like he, you're right. Love does take risks. And so it, maybe it's even a chance and maybe equally as much as we suffer, he suffers too. So all of those things point to a loving God as opposed to a, uh, dictator God that goes up, throw up more prayers, more prayers, more prayers. Okay, you get a new heart. Okay, you get a new <laughs> pool or something like that. But uh, last thing I'll say, I'll give you the last word here. You you still believe in prayer though, right? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, we're talking basically the deconstruction section of my book. Uh-huh. And so we really haven't talked about my reconstruction section. We'll do a whole other episode on it. I'm having a good time. No. Oh, Give no, us a hint that, about reconstruction, and we'll do that another time soon. Uh, no worries. Uh, but yeah, it's um, so since I don't believe God controls, coerces, and like you alluded to, God's power is limited for me by God's love. Uh, and so for God not to be able to do something is not foreign to the biblical text. I already listed things God can't do. Perhaps God controlling. Can I just say one thing on that? Yeah, um, yeah. Even, 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 even. Uh, conservative evangelicals, even J.P. Moreland, he is the poster child for conservative evangelical uh, Christian philosophy, great apologist, but even he believes that God can't do some things because, uh, well, for him, he would say because God chose to respect free will. Yeah. Yeah. So even in that sort of frame, God can't do things. But, you know, like I said, I push back on that uh, right. whole free will thing. It's more emphasis on God's love. So anyway, conspiring prayer. That's a reconstruction section. If I could really short, it's a form of prayer where we recreate space in our busy lives to align our hearts with God's heart, where our spirit and God's spirit breathe harmoniously together, Heck yeah. and where we plot together to subversively overcome evil with acts of love and goodness. Now, there's a lot of unpacking there, but it's basically, since I know God's doing what God can in each moment to love and heal and set free and deliver, it's more of my wanting to pray, not to God, but to pray with God. And that's going to be a whole different kind of uh, emphasis in in, in prayer. And I could go through that, but I think for the sake of time, it's up to you guys, but... (laughs) 
Well, I'll tell you what, that sounds so beautiful that I do want to hear about it. So wh- why don't we seriously have you back uh, and, and, and soon, and we'll hit into the reconstruction part because I want to enjoy prayer. I don't really do it that much because I don't know where I'm at with it and, and for these reasons that we've been talking about there. I, yeah. I usually feel I find myself praying to God when I need him and not praying with God like you were saying. So we're, we're, we'll definitely have you back, Mark, because this has been really, mm-hmm. really enlightening. I'm really enjoying this conversation for sure. And so... Just so everybody knows, we'll have Mark back on, but go ahead and read the book. It's called Divine yep. Echoes. Where can they get it, Mark? Well, you can get it on pretty much any online retailer. There's a, there's a book. There's also a workbook, and that's because I really want this, – this is my investigation, deconstruction or reconstruction of petitionary prayer. I want you guys to have your own. And yeah. so that workbook right now is being used by all kinds of churches and individuals and so they can work through it themselves. And you can also find some materials – that's not in the book on conspiringprayer.com. Awesome. All right, Mark Karras, everybody. Go check out his book, Divine Echoes. Mark, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you, Mark. Awesome. Been awesome, guys. Take care. Thanks. Okay, Mark Karras, everybody. That was great. That's my kind of talk, boy. I, I, I'll be honest. I was. I think I kind of misread a little bit. I, I was worried that he was going to be really talking about how great petitionary prayer was, yeah. and he was just <laughs> so much deeper and, and more thoughtful. And uh, I really enjoyed that interview, actually. Yeah. Well, good job getting him, Toby. Yeah. Uh, you know what else? That's you're kind of your you bragging know, on you yourself. You know what you're going to enjoy cool. right now? I'm going to shove some truth right up your fucking ass. <laughs> <laughs> In a world. Where people don't want the truth and you just don't stop. You can't stop because it's not, it, the truth is me. You know what I mean? That is what I wow. am. Wow. Well, well, well. This is the damn news with Toby Morrell. That's an offense, by the way. Why is that offensive? To God's glory. <laughs> no, God, I mean, don't you have God? You li- are truth. Do you have God living inside of you? Jesus said, I am the truth. Do you have God living inside if of you? If you want to argue with Jesus, that's fine. Go on with your damn news. Does God live inside you, yes or no? <laughs> that's so funny. I really, I actually use damn as the tip, and that's the title. <laughs> Go on with your damn news. <laughs> All right, this comes from Fox News. And, Do you know uh, there's a saying out there about, and it's kind of in the scientific community, a rationality yeah. community, and it says anything that can be destroyed by the truth should be. Ooh. That's good tagline. Well, 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 right? mm. You know what I mean? It's like, People Crazy. don't want to go yeah. looking because you got to find the truth. And I ain't afraid to can. look. Yeah. I ain't afraid to look. I like that. And I do want to tell you, Toby, the, mm. the pushback that I give you kind of in yeah. the beginning, it's just all in jest. It doesn't feel like it. I'm it just feels joking. hurtful. No, I like I There's like been the a real bad news. problem with a lot of people. I get this comment all the time is the podcast is good. It's just the amount that Joey is mean to Toby yeah. is a problem. I know. During the damn I, news, I, I it really is. That. I mean, it's I just, I mean, you're you're a jerk. Okay. Here comes some truth for your butthole. Uh, Award-winning <laughs> filmmaker Carlos Carvalho dies after a giraffe headbutted him. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. gosh! I know. Is he a famous director guy? Yeah. This, he, com- this comes from he? Fox News. Oh, an That's award- a lot of muscle an, in that neck. An award-winning South. Have you ever seen them fight with their necks? They sling their necks all around. It looks wild. Yeah, this doesn't uh, surprise me. An honestly. award-winning South African filmmaker died Wednesday after he was headbutted by a giraffe. Carlos Carvalho, uh, who was only 47 years old, was at the Glen Africa uh, Country Lodge in South Africa shooting a series about a British family in a game lodge when he attempted to get cl- a close-up shot of gerald the giraffe gerald the giraffe oh i like that is that what was the name of uh jeremy the giraffe wasn't it for toys r us wasn't it jeremy i have no idea i didn't know that i didn't know that bastard was named my daughter is gerald we call her oh that's right so now i can that's a giraffe to be a good accompaniment to um and and she killed your sex life 
So, yes, she, uh, she murdered Similar it. to this guy. She had <laughs> six head right out of the life. world. <laughs> <laughs> While Carvalho was trying to get his shot, Gerald headbutted the filmmaker and sent him 16 feet into the air. Oh, my god! Carvalho into suffered. Into the air? Yes. Suffered massive. Like he went 16 feet up. That's that what means they that say. Swing Holy the Popped him yeah. up like an uppercut. That's right. Home run swing. Carbello suffered unreal. massive head injuries as a result. The filmmaker. This is fact check. Yes. He snopes the fil- it. The filmmaker was Holy airlifted cow. to Johannesburg Mill Park Hospital where he died. It's unbelievable. Oh it is very gosh. sad. It is with a very sad heart that we have to announce the passing of Carlos Carvalho, one of our favorite people. They go on that to say this unreal. about him. But I just thought, it, I mean, it's really crazy. He won awards and all this stuff, but he was just trying to get a shot. There's no chance he thought. He might have thought it's dangerous, but I can get away. Like a giraffe is so big, I kind of think I could get away from it. And I don't think of them as murdering well, animals. You don't think of them like a lion. Did y'all Did y'all know I, that brought some? I watched the documentary. And did you know that um, the vast majority of times – lions try to uh, get a giraffe as its prey, the vast majority of times is unsuccessful. Really? They just get trampled the hell out. I mean, it's unreal how hard giraffes are for lions. I didn't know that, but it's very consistent with what I've always thought was a little bit bizarre about the way we... I think people don't really have much of appreciation of nature, how deadly, powerful things are. It's like we just think it's cute. Or something like, yep. and I don't know. I, to me, it's a little confusing because I had the young kids, like Gerald, Geraldine's her name, but we, they just, you know, all kids like animals and we yeah. love to give them animals. We right. love to give them stuffed animals and stuff like that. And I'm, I've always felt a little bit like, but these, that's kind of teaching them that every animal is a snuggly little thing. Right. This, thing. and you just, Oh, sweet little lions and giraffes and bears. And I love it. I mean, every kid loves animals, and we make them learn animal sounds. <laughs> teddy bear. Right. I mean, we, yeah. It's a te- oh, you snuggle with bears. Like, how's that? That seems like a weird message, doesn't it? Yep. And, then if, and then you go to zoos. All, I mean, that's all kids do is talk about animals, learn to make animal sounds, go to the zoo, and you're, they have these real nice – I mean, that is really, a very interesting point. And then you, if you ever go out in nature, they think, yeah, and then right. they yeah. kill you. It's like totally. we're, we're conditioning them not to be careful. Right. I, don't, I just don't really nature. understand. And we, you it's know that, on the other hand, children have bad dreams about animals attacking them, right? right. Like nature is supposed to be – you're supposed to be scared of it. And that's a function. Like you have dreams about monsters. That's to keep you yeah. alive. So, and we almost teach the opposite message to them. Like, don't worry about them. Also, you only think of uh, certain animals as that dangerous. Yeah. Like, and giraffes like, not like, you know, the giraffe, hippopotamus, I think, killed the most people in Africa right. or something like that. It's insane. But on a little side note, too, uh, th- there's a, a tweeter. Is that what you call people? A Twitter, like a, a Twitter person user. Famous, a Twitter <laughs> user, a tweeter. Yeah. Uh, his name's Kyle, Kyle Brownlee. There was he, a person on Twitter. Yeah, yes. a person on Twitter, Kyle Brownlee. He asked this question, and I was like, this is so true. He said, how are uni- unicorns fake, but giraffes are real? Like, what's more believable, li- believable a horse with a horn or a leopard moose camel with a 40-foot neck? <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's totally right. true. Like, giraffes are wild, aren't they? I mean, it's the craziest thing. When I go to the zoo and see the giraffe, I'm like, I don't understand how evolution did this. Oh, it's insane, too, because... It is uh, very you, weird. It's if insane. You, if you've ever seen a kid or done it yourself feed a giraffe, their tongue is just It is unreal. wild. Well, I saw now, them the other day. I was at the zoo with, with them, and, the, and the, the, they had this baby giraffe that was, you know, six months old. There. No, six weeks old, this giraffe. And I was like... What? It, it was giant. Yeah. It was walking around eating. It was six weeks old. 
giraffe, and it's, it weighs hundreds of pounds. I mean, it comes out weighing hundreds of pounds right. and can walk. I know. I mean, and you're right, a unicorn, let's think about that for a second. What a dumb I mean, it's like a horse, and we'll add a horn on it, and it'll become the most famous mythical, mythical instrument. <laughs> I, I mean, it's an animal, and like it's like a it's like a rhino. Has I know. I mean, deers are m- much more impressive. I know. Like, think if you saw a deer that didn't have antlers, right? And then you saw one with antlers. Yeah. That's way crazier than a horse with a one horn on yeah, it. Yeah, but yeah, but they're always flying. Oh, is that they can fly around that them? Yeah. Yeah. They shoot rainbows out the yeah, butt. Yeah, hey, let me let me ask you this: point. Is it scientific fact that? Giraffes necks are a result of microevolution because that's how I've always I don't, seen. I don't know. I mean, I don't know the scientific fact on giraffe necks. Well, I mean, I mean, think. Okay, think hold on, what? but can we do a little experiment here? Evolution. If you had to guess how evolution got the giraffe there. Oh going, well, that was uh, one of the more easy reaching kind the of trees. Ones. Yeah, I mean, that's that. I, that's but what that's, I'm talking about. It doesn't. I but mean, why don't other animals have long necks like that necessarily? I mean, they, it's like so unique. Well, because monkeys monkeys climb to get the. Food. But I mean, there's tons of vegetarian lions animals. don't even dry. It's Lions like, aren't going to try to get that apple well, up there. So most, a lot of times people come up with, like, the problem, a problem with evolution is it's a working theory that people that don't understand a ton about it. So I wouldn't be that confident to make the claim of right. how it got that way. Okay. But just that there are selection pressures and make If you had to guess, what things. do you think it was? Well, yeah, I mean, an obvious one and probably the right it's answer trees. is the, the tree thing. But I'm just saying oh, yeah, I get that, it, is, it is a reasonable criticism of people overdoing evolution to just, before you think critically, come up with some obvious thing and then say that must be what it is. So you're in, you're in a, there is kind of, a bubble that's that the answer is kind of like you you can be so in it that that you that we're people that are so deep into evolution yeah. maybe miss the forest for the trees and don't really think sometimes about what I mean but there's big debates you know yeah. and there's plenty of room for it but it's kind of like it, it it usually will suggest something obvious but that it may be much more complicated than that yeah based wow. on stuff so I don't know but yeah obviously longer I necks, think giraffes are an example chance, of God's sense of humor that's could pretty be funny yeah. Uh, they're a ridiculous animal. You're right about that. You got anything else, Toby? Or we, no, we good? that's all. All, all right. right. Well, tell them about the BC Club, whoever feels like it. Well, thebcclub.com mm, is the most popular com. website now, News New on York earth. Times said in yeah. the newspaper. Most up-and-coming, most popular website on earth. <laughs> it's, more, it's more than any porn site. It's more than uh, Amazon. Yep. What is, else is it bigger? It's bigger than CNN, Fox News, all of those. Yeah. So. Yep, it sure is. Well, it and is, why because of humans, right? Joining sure. together to to love and be loved. Well, I'd say it's a perfect example of what we take pride in at Bad Christian, and that is not controlling stuff and seeing things flourish because of people. Because me, Matt, and Toby are not the authors of everything Bad Christian. In fact, I'd say the majority of good stuff that's coming out of Bad Christian. We don't have anything to do with it, and that's because the community on Facebook now, like sixty-six subgroups and like twenty Marco Polo groups. Mm-hmm. We don't have the time, nor did we do any of that stuff, but love seeing it, no. love popping in and totally. out, and those sorts of things. So, uh, the BC Club, we don't really even mention that often. That at certain levels, you actually get a gift. So some people will get a sweatshirt or a t-shirt in the mail right away. There are some levels. Now, we're not cranking out music left and right, nor books, but when they do come out, these folks don't pay for it, depending on what level you give. But everyone, no matter what level that you're giving in, gets extra podcast episodes, which in 
I feel like I'm a little more loose during those episodes, so yeah. I think it does take on somewhat of a yeah. different vibe. We're but, making a couple of extra episodes a week just for our, our own community because that's who we value the most. We value the general listener, but the ones that are really participating and engaging, e- even better. So yep. we try to do as much as we can for them, and we hope you'll join us. Yep. Who Toby, has joined us lately? Anybody? Toby, you feeling anything with uh, what you want to add with these names? I am, but it, it's weird. I got a weird vibe that I know uh, – each of these folks are, I know they're sin. And it, oh, it, now the bad news is it's like. Uh, You've done this before. It's connected to sexual sin. Hmm. So I don't know if you want me to say them or not, but I will. Okay. Jessica Morrell. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Joel Gortmaker. He cranked it in a Walmart bathroom. Nathan Storms. He dropped the kids off at the pool at a baseball game. Chris Pierce. He flogged the log at church. Jeremy Webb. <laughs> Jeremy Webb, he jerked the gherkin uh, <laughs> in a drive-thru at McDonald's. <laughs> well, you know it would be classic if one of these people dropped out of the club when they heard their name because their eyes just, just effed up. <laughs> uh, Leah Ragsdale. She roughed up the suspect <laughs> at, a, at a banquet. Jason Alcott. <laughs> he strangled the snake at... Uh, I don't know, in his bedroom. <laughs> the the location was the hard part to come up with on that, um, where Jason, yeah. Yeah, the other was easy to come by, right? Derek Sakor. He waxed the carrot in the kitchen at his aunt's house. Brendan Cathcart. Uh, he, <laughs> he, pet, he petted the bunny uh, at a zoo. <laughs> and I don't mean the bunny. <laughs> Michael Jinks. He jacked off. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe it's pronounced jinx, but uh, last but not least, Joseph Howell. He double-clicked the mouse. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining. It really is crazy that we have names every episode of people that want to be a part of what us assholes are doing. I know. It is. Do you think I'm a little too self-deprecating, Matt? No. I, I think you're yeah. too self-congratulatory. Self-congratulatory? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's kind of a faux, uh, humble thing there. So, yeah. well, no, I don't. <laughs>